It's on all Follow of your social media outlets. Media outlets. All real radio. Radio. We make the world better. Make the world better. You are now tuned in to allrealradio.com, where we make the world better. Radio, how are y'all doing? This is Sam Oser, your unconventional journalist, reporting Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. at the intersections of class, race, and gender, and the movements that fight back. It has been a hot minute since I've been live. <laughs> Everything you've been hearing from me for like the last uh, two, three months maybe has been pre-recorded from home. But dang, it is so nice to be back in the studio. It's such a pretty day, too. Um, if you're out and about today, I do encourage you to go stop by Project Project Row Houses. Um, they are having an event. Uh, well, their row houses are open with art on critical race theory. So the exhibition is pretty amazing. Uh, so if you're out and about, I do encourage you to go that to go to that today. It is, it's free. Uh, so come on through. Um, so today we're going to keep it relatively short. Um, and we're going to keep it here at home last weekend. You know, I talked about Ukraine, talked about the war, talked about Nazis. And if you missed that, you're welcome to replay it. You can look up unconventional journalist wherever you get your podcast and replay it. Uh, there is some history about NATO absorbing Nazis um, and some history on um, how the U.S.-backed coup in Ukraine kind of planted the seed for this mess. But anyway, that's that was last week's show. You're welcome to revisit it if you want. Today, we're going to be talking about home. I have um, a report for you from Pasadena ISD the Texas Civil Rights Project hosted a town hall this week in Pasadena School District about their disciplinary practices. So we're going to talk about that. And then I recorded an interview from a parent who wanted to share their story further. So we'll be talking about that. 
And then after that, we are going to go through Houston Abolitionists newsletter. It's a newsletter that you can sign up for. It is a very comprehensive newsletter. This one is specifically focused on trans and queer uh, liberation from the police state uh, and, and namely from <laughs> Texas because, um, you know, the what Texas is doing to target trans kids is insane, absolutely insane. So we're going to be talking about resources um, and other events that are going on. And I'll tell you more about how you can sign up for the newsletter. Like I said, it's very comprehensive. Um, so those are the two things that we're going to talk about today. I'm sure as I go on, I'll probably like side rant on some things. Um, but we're going to stay home today. Um, and no matter where you are in the world, if you're listening and you're like passing, it doesn't affect me. Uh, the, whatever is happening in Houston with the police state doesn't affect me in a way it really does. Um, because global white supremacy and global police state is permeating everywhere. Um, and I think it's good to just see it in different places and identify how it translates wherever you live. So we are going to take a short music break. Um, and then we're going to dive into the Pasadena town hall. We are back. If you are very fond of this music, this music is curated by All Real Radio. And you can download the app. You can listen online at allrealradio.com. They (laughs) have really, really wonderful music. Um, Yeah, so... We are diving into Pasadena ISD. So the Texas Civil Rights Project um, had gotten 
reports from Pasadena parents on disciplinary actions in Pasadena. And they did a full report on it and have decided to do town halls to bridge the gap between parents and the school district and to figure out how to address this systemic issue. So before we go into the town hall, I want to give you some stats. Uh, So according to the report that the Civil Rights Project did, Pasadena ISD had one of the highest discipline rates among students, despite being the 17th largest district in the state. In the 2018-2019 school year, Pasadena ISD suspended, expelled, or sent to disciplinary alternative education program 8,942 different students totaling in 23,890 different disciplinary actions. The Pasadena ISD Police Department arrested more students than any other larger district, including Dallas, Fort Worth, and Austin. And while black students only make up 7.5% of the student body, they made up 19.4% of the total arrests made. I'm going to repeat that again for you. Um, While black students only make up 7.5% of the total Pasadena ISD student body, they make up 19.4% of the total arrests made. Dang. (laughs) oh um that's um that's a stat isn't it so during this town hall these stats were brought up and and there were some more i was hoping that they would send out the presentation um, before today's report but i haven't received it yet but that is like the main stat that was focused and it's aggregated data Um, so there's no different cross sections on, you know, how many times they were arrested or like how many times they received in school suspension, um, also known as ISS or how many times they went to the summit, which was a different disciplinary uh, area. So there's, there's not any cross section data on that. There was a former teacher who brought that up. Um, and while I think it's a good point to have the cross-section of these data because I think it would highlight class disparities amongst the high schools and elementaries and junior highs, um, the aggregated data still points at black students only making up 7.5% of the student body and then being 19.4% of the total arrests made, right? That's, uh, that's still a lot for aggregated data. <laughs> Um, so the town hall was, was pretty amazing. It was a group of, it was former teachers. It was parents. There was, um, Pasadena ISD, a deputy superintendent there and a board member there. And as soon as they heard these stats, they got really, really defensive. Um, that's a typical white reaction, let alone, you know, a white, person and authority reaction to hearing these kind of stats and and they're like you know we have all these other programs in place why aren't there stats about these other programs and how they're helping students and you know that's a fair point but at the end of the day there's still a, a huge influx oh an influx of students black students um being uh arrested right um 
So in like, I'm, I'm white. No one wants to be the bad guy, right? Like (laughs) it always makes a white person uncomfortable when you call out racism in any context. Um, but unfortunately it seemed like they were more defensive instead of like listening. Um, but there was some good points that came out of the conversation and, um, that there will be some more town halls. Um, and then there was like discussion on bringing current teachers to the meeting to see what they would say, which I like laughed. I, I laughed out loud for that one. Um, when the deputy superintendent brought that up, it's like, you know, no current teacher is going to want to criticize their job in front of their boss. (laughs) I mean, especially like in Pasadena, right? So for those of you who may not know, Pasadena was headquarters for the Klan, like well into the 80s. Um, my uh, biological father has has stories about how uh, when he was growing up, he would be riding his bike and he would ride his bike right past the headquarters. Um, and, you know, those people had kids. And whether or not those kids are Klan members or not, they will still inadvertently carry a lot of those ingrained racist things. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so passing is just like really, really a hot spot, a hotbed for this. And what, what scares me personally about passing a police in particular is that they have uh, in God, we trust on the cop cars. That is, um, the reason that scares me is because that is a combination of theocracy and the police state think you know like al-qaeda you know how like they combine their religion with like guns (laughs) um it's very much the same only you know christian and western um and so that tied into pasadena uh school district it's just concerning all the way around So anyway, um, I interviewed a parent during that time. Um, her name is Amanda. Uh, I won't say her last name. She said that I could, but just for privacy reasons, I, I try to keep people's last names out of it. Um, but she has black kids in the system, in the Pasadena ISD system. And, uh, here's what she has to say. Hmm. Give me one second. All right, now it's connected. <laughs> so this is a parent from Pasadena ISD, Amanda, who has um, like what's what what she was experiencing, uh, what her kids experiencing in the district. Hi, um, I am a parent of two sons. 
um, in Pasadena ISD. Um, he is a black male. He's 18 now, and he's a senior. Um, I've pretty continuously over our time there at Pasadena um, have just run into a lot of problematic practices and systems um, in trying to support him in navigating just the educational system. Um, as any high schooler, he needs support, love, encouragement, um, and is going to have gaps both academically and socially. Um, but the things that he's had to navigate are oppressive um, in the kindest terms from little things like dress code um, that are incredibly gendered. Um, he has gotten reprimanded and disciplined for earrings for what he's allowed to wear in his bottom half of his body. His body is continually policed. Um, his hairstyle, um, any traditional black hairstyle is policed pretty typically. Um, he's gotten followed by police before in his school. He's gotten interactive pretty aggressively with police after making a turn um, too quickly or too tight in the parking lot um, and being threatened with being arrested. Um, and he doesn't, I'm not even going to speak on his academic performance or behavioral performance because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> At the end of the day, no one um, deserves to be interacted with like that. Um, he has, I'll say this in quotes because I wasn't there, but he's raised his voice at a teacher and because of the power that her perception held, um, he was referred to the AP and sent to um, alternative school for five days. I intervened and the days were cut short by a few, but he was completely removed from his school community, sent to a different school for several days, and then had to come back and make up all of his work. He's had to spend days and days in ISS, missing out on all of his school assignments, um, and been behind because of that. Um, I had to jump through a lot of hoops and write formal letters to excuse him from standing up and saying the Pledge of Allegiance because he was being threatened with ISS for not wanting to say the pledge. Just a lot of things like that, so ranging from seemingly small to big, um, just really archaic practices that have no weight in what he's able to do academically. Have you seen similar situations like with his friends? Like have, have had, they had like similar things going on? Um, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Um, it's interesting. Sometimes it makes me a little bit sad because I think he internalizes some of it and kind of just covers it up and makes excuses and it's fine, mom. It's fine. Um, so I don't know. I, um, I think he tries to navigate as best he can and feels a little outcast from it a little bit, but it, he doesn't admit that to me a lot. Um, so I don't really know. Is there anything else about like tonight's meeting that you found particularly insane that you'd like to comment on? Yeah, tonight's meeting was, uh, I have a spectrum of emotion from tonight's meeting. Um, there were some district representatives, um, I guess a board member and a deputy um, who took a really defensive stance instead of listening to community voices, which is 
racist in and of itself instead of listening to community members. Um, I mean, folks are obviously there because they want what's best for their kids and for their schools, and so taking a listening stance is most ideal. Um, but it was it was pretty defensive in nature. Um, a lot of things were shared about all the things that they are doing, um, like restorative practices, SEL practices, um, to justify removing kids all day. My it's one story, but my son has never experienced any of those things. So, um, yeah, to come in and kind of cover up the data that we looked at or personal experiences um, with strategic initiatives or plans um, just feels terrible. <laughs> it feels like you're not listening. Um, and, you know, when I've, I've brought up concerns, whether it's dress code or discipline practices to school leaders before, it's very throw your hands up, I can't do anything, this is the system, I'm not allowed to change anything. So it it's pretty continually passing the buck and no real changes. And uh, there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, so there will be more town halls being hosted by uh, the Texas Civil Rights Project in Pastina. And I will be going to them and keeping an eye on this. Um, right, so that's all I have for this point. We're going to play some music, and then we're going to uh, peep the Houston Abolitionist newsletter. Just to dip its word, just to keep its word. I just to dip its word, just to keep its word. In the beginning was the word, and the word had the urge to be heard, so the word got together with the verb. Uh, and the uh, so the noun got the word, now it sounds proper. Uh, now you got a name in the game, the adjective said it was your claim to fame. Uh, I told you, uh, I'm like a journalist. Just to dip its word, just to keep its word. I just to dip its word, just to keep its word. Just to dip its word, just to keep its word. I just to dip its word, just to keep its word. And it ain't like when we first started making records, it ain't like we didn't want a curse, you basically couldn't. So the curses came out the record. So now even, even though they allowed you to curse on the record, at what point do you think it's necessary to say all those curses, even though you can't? Just because you can say anything, that don't mean you're supposed just to say it. You sometimes you're just supposed to say, well, we, then we gonna just stop right here. Up next, uh, taking a dive into Houston Abolitionist Collective's newsletter. Um, I will be linking the newsletter and how to subscribe to the newsletter um, in the replay. So when you look up unconventional journalist and 
you look at the different podcasts, wherever you get it, and the, the summary that's there, everything will be linked for you. Um, so the very first thing that is in this newsletter and that is just <laughs> so important right now in Texas is a trans and queer resistance. Um, so there is a, a short little interview with uh, Dean Spade from the Bernard Center for Research on Women giving uh, the history of uh, queer people against police. And I think that's really important because most people tend to think just Stonewall. Um, and Stonewall is definitely a seed for it, but it, there's more and the way it's evolved over the years um, is important, right? So um, I'm going to share that with you and uh, let's see if this uh, connection actually works. <laughs> Most people find useful for thinking about what changed inside LGBT politics is the drastic shift from sort of the late 1960s moment of the Stonewall uprising, of the riot at Compton's cafeteria, um, where queer and trans people who are targeted by police um, are fighting back explicitly, like rioting back against the police who constantly are attacking and victimizing them, and how that was really plugged into like a broader set of movements um, around the country where people were identifying police violence and were articulating politics of self-defense against police violence. There's kind of a pretty drastic shift that happens to wind us up in the 1990s and today where we see this huge demand for hate crimes laws, for LGBT people to be included in hate crimes laws, and this big win in 2009 when um, LGBT people were included in the Federal Hate Crimes Act. So these are laws that enhance the punishment that people um, get through the criminal punishment system if they attack us based on sexual orientation or gender identity. And the idea that what we should be doing is putting more tools in the toolbox of police and prosecutors, and the Federal Hate Crimes Law also gives, you know, large amounts of money to local law enforcement, which queer and trans people, right, in the late 60s are identifying as a major source of violence in our communities, right? What's happened since the late 60s also is that policing and imprisonment has ballooned in the United States. So actually, the violence of police and prisons in the lives of queer and trans people has actually expanded. So you see this sort of drastic and strange shift where you have this elite set of queer and trans organizations, predominantly white-centered, predominantly upper-class, people who feel great about the cops, love the idea of getting the criminal punishment system to protect them, and then you have the mass of queer and trans people who are in danger of police targeting, who experience police profiling, whose family members and themselves have experienced violence inside the prison system, and the, the divide between those agendas between sort of trying to get hate crimes laws to include us versus actually trying to deal with police violence um, is a really sharp contrast, right? And you see from that this kind of move from the sort of the grassroots um, moment that we can see of this incendiary moment um, of queer and trans resistance in the 1960s that really continued, right? There's been queer and trans people involved in um, uh, anti-police and anti-prison work since then, but the sort of visible, um, well-funded queer and trans work has become one that's like friendly with the police, that's like, oh, let's expand the police powers to protect us, this kind of fantasy about the police as, um, as people who can be tools against homophobia and transphobia, when in reality the police are major agents of homophobia and transphobia. Yeah. Oops, sorry about that. <laughs> I didn't turn off the button. A little rusty after a few months of being gone from the studio. Um, but yeah, that's just a little bit of uh, history and 
just really how things have gotten worse, um, unfortunately. Um, but abolition is intersectional, right? It covers that. So Texas wide resources include equality Texas. That's resources for parents of Texas trans youth, trans Texas, um, black trans Texas connection, the queer agenda, emergency grants for Texas trans families. Um, I will be sharing this again in the summary of whatever podcast you get. You look up unconventional journalist. All the links will be in there for you. Um, in Houston, there's a wide range of groups, including like the Montrose Center. There's University of Houston LGBTQ Resource Center, Harm Redux, HTX. Um, and then career housing, wealth, health, education, and legal shelter resources by ABC 13. Um, so there is an upcoming secret police union contract proposed for Houston. <laughs> there are uh, 10.5% in raises over three years, uh, $125 million costs over three years. Um, and the Houston Abolitionist Collective is working on trying to reallocate these, these, um, this money to not <laughs> go more towards the police state. You can follow HOU budget on Twitter for details about city spending and how spending on most services programs compares to the city's police budget. Um, let's see, uh, a call to action. So there, you know, the police state loves surveillance technology and there is a surveillance technology uh, <laughs> up and coming uh, called ShotSpotter. ShotSpotter has been used in different cities across the U.S. There is a, there is a national stop ShotSpotter campaign and the reason is because it disproportionately affects black and brown people. Uh, criminalizes and targets them at a higher rate. Surprise! Um, <laughs> so there is the Houston Democratic Socialists of America, Houston DSA, has an abolitionist working group, uh, and they are working with the Houston Abolitionist Collective to build a coalition of organizations and individuals to oppose the shot spotter presence in Harris County. Um, they are wanting to spend, it was like, uh -huh. They want to uh, in, spend like $3.5 on ShotSpotter, and the group wants to reinvest that into existing uh, new gun violence prevention programs, um, funds for direct financial assistance, housing, and rental assistance. So if you're interested in that, you should definitely follow uh, Houston DSA and uh, their uh, abolitionist working groups is typically on Thursdays. This last one was this past Thursday, um, at 7 PM, but, um, the abolitionist collective Houston DSA, they're always really good at posting when it's going to happen and it's all online. It's accessible. I, one of my favorite things to come out of the shit show of these last two years is, um, normalizing zoom meetings, normalizing digital meetings, um, because everybody's so spread out in Houston and Harris County, it makes it a lot easier to just meet online. Um, there's also a campaign to stop LaSalle transfers and depopulate Harris County jail. 
Um, so, um, LaSalle is a private prison in, uh, in Louisiana and there are transfers happening from Houston to LaSalle and LaSalle is notorious for being inhumane. <laughs> they have planning meetings, uh, for this campaign Thursdays from four to 5 PM. If you want to get involved, you can email Sophie at coupets dot sophie at gmail.com that's k-u-p-e-t-z dot sophie at gmail.com or gabriella uh gabriella dot barahona at texas jail project dot org g-a-b-r-i-e-l-a dot b-a-r-a-h-o-n-a at texas jail project dot org Again, if you're like Sam, I'm not catching that. Um, <laughs> all of this will be linked for you in the summary when I post this on the various podcast channels. Just look up on Conventional Journalist. You'll see today's episode after today, like a little bit from now, um, and everything will be linked for you. Um, da, 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 da. Those are the main things from the newsletter. If you want to receive this newsletter, go to bit.ly slash HAC newsletter um, and sign up. And um, that's that's all I really have for you today. It's just uh, trying to keep it short because it's, it's a nice day. Um, and uh, next week's episode is going to be longer. It's going to be a two-hour special and the first of a monthly series I'll be doing with Secunda Joseph, Imaginal World, uh, it's going to be uh, the Elder Edition. So uh, once a month, hopefully, for however many months into infinity and beyond, um, Secunda Joseph will be joining me to interview elders in communities. Um, gentrification is happening at a very, very quick rate, and... Um, there's so much history in Houston. There's so much love and so much life that is on its way to um, being gentrified. So the goal of these elder edition interviews is to interview elders in different wards across Houston in different intersections. So I am going to be reaching out to uh, like trans communities, uh, queer communities, um, to talk with their, their elders, um, and then not just in past in Houston, but everywhere in Harris County, um, where white supremacy is just hell on wheels, um, threatening to culturally erase everything. And then once I have a good backlog of interviews, I will be submitting it to various libraries for archival information, so that any kids in the future happen to stumble upon it or want to know more about uh, Houston wards and the transition um, as gentrification comes through, that will be there. So next weekend's the first of a monthly series, and it's going to be a two-hour special. So that's another reason why I'm keeping today's short, because you don't want to hear me yab and yak all day. Um <laughs> Uh, and I'm too introverted to do that anyway. So that's all I got for you. I hope you have a very, very lovely 
Saturday. The sun is shining and um, life is good. Vibration. 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 Vibration.